This is what makes men, men. We're men, right? Indeed we are, sir. Welcome to another episode of the Family Alpha Podcast. This is where Zachary Small is working to keep masculinity in men, in marriages, and in all fathers. The information shared here is meant to be applied. We're changing the world one man at a time. Now, let's get into the episode with Zach Small on the Family Alpha Podcast. Welcome back to another episode on the Family Alpha Podcast. I am your host, Zachary Small. Today, I'm joined by special guest, Adam Trudy. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Zach. Excited to be here. Me too. I've been looking forward to this, man. You know, for those who don't know you, here's how I came across you, and you can fill in the gaps. But we started talking the dad Twitter thing. A bunch of fathers came together. We were talking about family. We started talking the, the dad Twitter spaces. So on Tuesdays, we were running those. You know, prior to that, we had Saturday mornings with future fathers. There was a lot of discussions going on in fatherhood. And you were one of the names that kept popping up. And then consistently, you kept showing up. And in this space, I'm like, I really dig what this guy is saying. You know, all the knowledge that you're dropping, your insights on parenting, as well as just being a man leading himself in life. And so I really wanted to get you on here to get a lot more unique voices out for the masses. You know, every, everybody has like the same rotation of guests. I like bringing on new faces, new voices to give a fresh perspective on life. But before we dive into all that and the big cosmos of what's going on and how we can improve as men, who is Adam Trudy? What did that not cover? Yeah, I, uh, so it's interesting. I uh, live in the Bay Area. I have been in tech my whole life. And so I actually joined Twitter maybe two or three months ago because I have this belief that finances are, are critical to marriages and to life and that, um, you know, a lot of people don't understand them and therefore they're, they're harming marriages and they're harming sort of the way we structure our life and the priorities that we make. And uh, so I have some thoughts around how I want to, some things I want to build there. But as I got into Twitter and started to kind of develop my own persona and, and just sort of develop my own voice, I realized that, you know, the core of who I am as a, as a father and a husband is, is obviously what I value most. Um, and the way those two play together is I think that people a lot of times forget that core value of being a husband, being a father because of financial pressures. But um, as I started talking more and more, I started just getting connected with all these guys on dad Twitter. And my natural voice that came out was one as a husband that loves his wife and as a father that can never stop loving his daughter. And so uh, you know, the messages that, that wanted to just come out of my mouth every day were, were along those lines. And so, uh, you know, naturally the persona evolved in, into sort of that family values area because that's what I'm very passionate about and, and sort of um, helping people recapture and reclaim what those values are against the mainstream narrative that things like money and success uh, are what drive, you know, happiness in life. And so uh, really excited to have met folks like you and all the other guys on dad Twitter to really drive this, this narrative home that the world does not have our best interests at heart at the moment. You know, it's interesting you say that, that money drives happiness and, you know, these, these status markers. What's interesting to me is your handle on Twitter is at a head fit or a head finance. Mm -hmm. And yet you're saying that it's not the money that's driving the happiness. And I agree with you, but I'm wondering if we're on the same page as to how that, that tool is to be used. So let, let's hone this in. We talk a lot about how, you know, women are a part of men's lives. They're not the point of the lives. Having a family does not remove the burden of being a man and following your mission, having a vision. Mm -hmm. And it seems as though, like you were just saying, with dad's where do you tied in? Yeah, I'm a family man. I have a family. But whereas I took the angle of, all right, but we, we have to stay connected. We need network. We need camaraderie. That was sort of my angle coming from the military. Yours, it seems like coming from the financial sector, that's the message you're bringing. And so on your, your bio, you even say that, you know, you help build stronger families, bring connection to the home and build a financial foundation. Mm -hmm. So what led you to that? Why the focus on finances out of, out of all the things in the world? Like, clearly for me, I focus on FOE because of military. So why finances for Adam? Yeah, I think uh, we had in the last couple of years, we've been very blessed um, with with our financial situation and things have gone well for us. And so as as we made the right financial decisions and 
and had these blessings come to us, I realized how much having a stable financial platform changed my mindset and the way I perceived my decision-making. Because all of a sudden, when I was thinking about my career and I was thinking about my wife and my daughter and what I wanted out of life and where my fulfillment was coming from, um, having stable finances sort of deprioritized them in my decision-making. And so all of a sudden, when I thought about what do I want to do every day when I wake up and what do I want my family to become? You know, I was less focused on, you know, the carrot of a paycheck every two weeks. And I was less focused on, you know, how can I evolve my career for myself so that I get promotions or make more money or things like that? Because I realized none of the things that money has really bought me are actually what make me happy every day. Um, and so, uh, like that, having that stable platform and just seeing how much it unlocks your life, I think, uh, kind of opened my eyes to, to what is possible. And, um, and I just realized, um, in talking to people around me, the number of decisions that people were making, um, that were de that were deprioritizing families simply because they were risk averse or didn't understand their finances was just mind boggling. And so I realized that, sort of this lack of financial literacy was actually creating, you know, uh, a lack of family prioritization. And I think families are suffering because of it. I agree. But there, with you saying, you know, financial stability allowed you to focus on these other things. For many, they give so much to the job for that financial stability. Mm -hmm. So where do you draw the line as to, well, I'm making enough. So now I can stop pressing so hard to grow here and, and make it more stable. Because there's no, well, I've got 30K in savings. Well, why not 50? All right, I got to really work so I can get 50K in savings. But shit, I bought a new car. We've got to make sure this house is growing. And all of a sudden, they're, they're working to keep that stability at the expense of the family. But mm -hmm. you're saying you did it reverse. You had stability, and then you went to the family. So how, how were you able to bridge that gap? And how can we help other men see and do the same? Yeah, I think, um, and you know, my vision for what I want to build um, you know, with Ahead Finance is, uh, it's not, it's not having, in my experience, in my career, it's not having the stability that makes you stable. Sometimes it's just having the plan. It's having the peace of mind that your finances are doing the right thing that you're putting in the right work to make sure that you're on track. Um, I genuinely think you don't need the house to accommodate your family today that your family is going to grow into in six years. If you want to have five kids. Um, but if you, are in a two bedroom today, but you have a plan where you're putting your money aside for savings naturally, and you're putting your money into investments and you can feel comfortable that in five years, these moves will put you in a position to buy that four or five bedroom home to support your family of seven. Um, that right there gives you peace of mind that you don't have to worry about um, what your money's doing or where you're going or whether you can even support your family or not. And so um, I do think there absolutely um, sort of is men, I think we are called to kind of provide for our family and, and to, to sort of make these trade-offs in life. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, and that's where I think it, you know, I want to help people with my voice on Twitter is to sort of live in that nuance of what is the right amount of effort to be putting into my work right now versus that balance where I want to be spending time with my family. You know, I don't think there is no world where men just don't work and they spend all their time with their family and that's perfectly okay. Um, but also it's not a world where you should be working from seven to seven every single day. And then your family gets the scraps for an hour at the end of the day. Um, you know, it's, it's about balancing those, those goals and that drive with the other things in life that matter to make sure you're building it all together. Well, you know, I'm always talking, you know, presence versus presence, give them more of you. Like there's so many quotes, you know, mm -hmm. uh, don't give your job your best only to give your family the rest. Yeah. I completely agree with you. I do have to ask the question, though. Are you a, a single source of income family or does your wife work as well? We are a single source of income family. Um, so you're the only one working. I am. Yeah, we uh, we my wife and I were both working in tech. Uh, and when our daughter came we made a lot of emotional decisions. The hormones of having your first child uh, are, are no joke. Um, and so uh, we chose, despite living in a high cost of living area, that 
uh, having a stay-at-home parent was more important to the well-being of our family than than sort of long-term financial security. Um, and Dude, so that is I, the best gift you could give that child. Like, 100%. what a great decision! I wish more people knew thought of that as normal. Like, that is the yeah. best thing you could have done for that kid. Well, and I and I I'm glad you said that because you know that that actually was one of the crux of sort of this thesis that we're talking about about how people optimize for financial security, which is, um, and I've said this on Twitter to be transparent, we. When we made the decision to go down to one income, I, I had, as a finance person, I built a, a model for our, our household finances. And, you know, our situation was that at best for seven to eight years, depending on how, long, how many kids we were having, uh, we were going to be break even, you know, for the most part, maybe saving a little bit. Um, and to me, that was worth it. Like, I looked at this and said, okay, maybe we go break even for eight years and then if we need to, we'll go back to two incomes when the kids are in school um, and sort of start, you know, re, re, restarting our, save, our incremental savings at that point. And so, um, but I could only make that decision because I knew how to model my finances. I knew what questions to ask um, and I could, I could afford to take a little bit more risk. And so um, we decided that having, taking that risk was well worth it for the well-being of our children. And um, and, and I've just, and, and I said, I made this because I've talked to a lot of people here in the Bay area where they will say like, I would love to be a stay-at-home parent. I just can't afford it. And I, and my response is always, you own a home in the Bay area and you both have good jobs. You can definitely afford it. You know, whether you know how to or not, you can absolutely afford it. And so, um, a lot of people, they make these decisions to optimize for finances simply because they don't know how it works. And therefore I think they're, there, it's a trade-off against the well-being of your family, in my opinion. Now, is this something that was normal in your home growing up? You know, where was was the taboo around money removed? And so you were just comfortable talking about it and models? Because I do see that as being a major issue with a lot of people who are stuck, because they don't even like to talk about money, even if they're living paycheck to paycheck. They, they don't want to address it because it's a bad word. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it was not. Um, my, I was, my family was pretty, I was, you know, middle-class growing up. My father was a firefighter. My mom worked as librarians to just kind of supplement the income a little bit, but, um, it's like the American but, dream right there, a firefighter <laughs> and a librarian. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. And, and we lived in a great school district, like great neighborhood. So like, but they genuinely looking back as an adult now, they, they genuinely sacrificed a lot to, to sort of provide stability for our family. And so, um, I think those values, you know, whether I knew it at the time or not sort of were ingrained in me, which led me to um, kind of the way I prioritize things today. Um, but I wouldn't say finances were, were open at all. I, I've, my career has been in corporate finance. So for companies and startups, I've been spending my life modeling finances and um, sort of driving towards outcomes. So it's only natural for me to bring my work home with me uh, and just do it for my family. But um, I think it's a, so it's a combination of my experience and my curiosity in finance and loving asking those questions, as well as, you know, my drive for authenticity in life. And just, I don't, I don't think anything is taboo. Um, you know, I want, that's not, a, that's not a popular a, opinion, but I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. I once, I once had a pastor that said something really great, which was, you know, you should have at least one person in your life that knows everything about you. And not and, and what he meant was not one person knows every single thing, but every single thing about you should be known by at least one person. Um, and so I've always carried that that sort of mentality with me. And um, and I've just I found so much healing and growth and restoration in sharing even the darkest corners of our ourselves. And so I think that's just led me to this world where I tend to be like transparency first, um, which, which helps build really great relationships too. And so I've carried that mentality into the way I think and talk about finances. You know, I find that really interesting. I mean, as you're saying it, it's got the gears turning in my head. You know, one of the things that stresses me out is people who are caught in the poverty cycle or people that I see that are living in poverty. And I'm like, man, it wouldn't take much for you to really improve your situation. There there are some Mm -hmm. very big holes in your ship that you could it might not get you out of the hole, but it'll stop you from going lower. Mm-hmm. And without that example, without someone being there to show them, it's okay to talk about this. It's okay for us. To, like, yeah, you are poor. 
Like that's not, I'm not being offensive. I'm just, you are not doing well financially. <laughs> Let's work on improving this. Mm-hmm. You know, without that person, they just stay there. They're just content there. And there's, yeah. there's almost no incentive for them to change because everybody around them is doing the same thing. So that's mm-hmm. the norm there. And it's, I'm wondering for you with the head finance, do you think a course, do you think a video, do you think a blog post is enough? Or do you think you need to be there sitting across from them to make that connection and say, hey, man, let's talk about your money because it's a problem. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think you, you need to be there with them. Um, I think the way, you know, what I envision with the, this platform, if, if we're able to build it, is the same way Mint.com 15 years ago, like, all of a sudden made everybody understand what a budget was and, and what it meant to like look at all of their finances. I want to do the same thing with financial plans. I want to like remove the friction of just understanding the big picture of your finances and make it as simple and as easy as possible. Um, but beyond that, I have this, this sort of second vision um, that I like to talk about that you can kind of wrap around that platform, which is sort of this social layer. And uh, what I, the example I like to use, you know, maybe six months ago, I was spending a lot of time on Reddit and I was super intrigued by all these personal finance boards on Reddit where people would show up and they would just dump the, all of the personal details of their life anonymously, you know, behind their profile on Reddit and then let people give feedback and like, mm-hmm. t- and they'd ask questions like, what, what should I be doing? And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, why, why can't we create that social layer around this? So, okay, you, you have a view of what your finances kind of look like, go crowdsource, like what you should do with your life. And let's find opportunities together because there's, there's so much power in just being connected to people that have been through what you've been through and gotten out of it, or people that are where you want to be, that can kind of help pull you up. Um, Like I want to, be able to create that opportunity for all of us to, to help each other out instead of what the world tells us to do, which is just to focus on ourselves. Um, because mm-hmm. that's a really, it's a really empty, shallow way to live our lives. And I don't think anybody's finances are going to improve by doing that. You know, I, I actually think that's a great example with Reddit because people do have the liberty. You see it with a lot with, with struggling with personal issues, their finances, you know, you go on there and this like build me a budget or make me a budget. There's, there's a, a subreddit dedicated to budgeting and people sharing, you know, what they're going through. And that's probably one of the ones of many that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. But I've seen it and I, I thought that was interesting as well, that people will be like, oh, it, it, it strips the taboo because the person's not feeling ashamed of the mm-hmm. poor choices they've made, which brings us back to the shame associated with money, the, the emotions, the feelings associated with money. Yeah. When you are working with somebody or you're talking to somebody else about your plan. How do you help cut through that shield or that wall that they have up to, to not offend them by saying, hey, here are your issues? I'm not judging you on your mistakes. I'm trying to help you solve them. Yeah, um, it's, you know, it, it, whether it's money or anything else, I think one of the things that I found, and this is what I, I try and do on, on Twitter and I appreciate about life, is it's helpful to, take, to be the one to take the first step and to just be authentic and transparent. So, you know, when I talk to people, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily try and hide, you know, how much I make or, you know, how much we have saved or anything like that. I'm not, I mean, we're, we're doing well, so I, I'm not necessarily ashamed, but I think, um, create being vulnerable upfront, I think signals to a lot of people, okay, this is a safe space. If this person can open up, um, maybe I can too. So I think, um, you know, again, whether it's finances or anything else, I think being vulnerable, and taking that risk, like there's a risk anytime you choose to be vulnerable that the person you're being vulnerable with or the people um, are not going to accept you or not going to respond the way you want them to. So um, I agree that, uh, you know, there's risk associated with it, but I would, in my experience, 80, 90% of the time, you know, it, you're never going to get stomped on. Um, and it, if anything, most people respond and they say, wow, like if this person can be vulnerable, they're so surprised by it. They want to join you in that space, um, which, which sort of enables them to open up as well. You know, in that too, one of the things, and this is what I really like about you, your content and just jiving with you, you know, we can hop in the spaces is you are honest, you know, and that is a huge trust builder. He's like, Hey, I'm honesty. You know, you said authenticity. So the authentic nature, obviously, 
but more just you're honest with, hey, my success and failures are here and you're consistent. Your story isn't changing. Your approach isn't changing. And that's something that you see with a lot of people, which creates distrust. Mm-hmm. This week you're saying, oh, I'm making 50K. That week you said, hey, look at me. I'm a seven-figure brand. This week you're saying you need somebody to support your Kickstarter for your new project. You're like, you're so inconsistent with where you're at. It's how can anybody trust you? And, and you don't have that issue, which is what I really appreciate why I wanted to talk to you is you're doing it. It's for real. But it's like, I have to be the wet blanket. There are so many people. I mean, there are so many schools out there. Let's just look at the school system that aren't teaching these kids anything. And yeah. so... I, I hear, I see, I'm 100% behind you. I would love to fly you in, sit down with any of my guys that are in FOE and be like, hey, this guy, let's get some one-on-one. He's the dude to talk to. It works. Mm-hmm. I would love to do that. But mm-hmm. we're, we're talking micro, like very, very micro. That's a niche group of dudes who are totally yeah. comfortable doing that with you. Yeah. You talk about the public education system. You talk about mm-hmm. the, so the adults who have no idea. And then these kids who are still infinite supply that are coming into the pipeline. They yeah. have no idea. And it's intentional. And mm-hmm. so how do, how do we combat that? I mean, I love that you can correct an issue, but do you even think there's a possibility for us to stay ahead and be proactive in preventing us from having to correct at all? Uh, I do think we do. And that's one of the reasons why I am passionate about trying to build some technology to help this is, you know, when I, when I first started conceptualizing this thing of, okay, I have finances, but I don't know how to like ask the right questions or what to do with them. You know, my original thought was, why don't I just go get my CFP? But then I realized that the challenge with that is I, I'm going to be, I mean, there's a lot of challenges with, with going that route, but, but one of them was I only get to help maybe a dozen or two dozen people at a time. And that's like, that's great. I'll be happy about that, but I, I genuinely feel like we can do more. And so um, to me, uh, you know, this ahead.finance platform is about building broad financial literacy um, because I think, and, and it's going to come down to educating parents first. I mean, I think it, it I, hopefully, you know, this financial platform combined with a Twitter platform like Dad Twitter and participating in that, like we can genuinely transform fathers at scale um, to be financially literate, but then also be transparent about that with their children. Um, and I'm seeing small pieces of it on Twitter. There's plenty of people, all of us talking about, hey, go teach your 10-year-old about what the stock market means, you know? Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, it is, as part of this movement there, that we're creating, we can, we can definitely evolve into the financial world of things. I agree, the public school system is not gonna teach it to children anywhere. Um, and that's why I think, um, you know, again, I think to me, this is about when I think about what finances do for my life and what transforming finances do, it's not about money. It's not about security. It's about priorities. Um, like literally our entire life is a set of inherent trade-offs. There, there is no such thing as having it all in life. Um, and so, and I think that's what, what people end up chasing in this sort of hamster wheel is the concept of having it all. And so, um, to me, Dad Twitter and creating a platform like a head finance is about helping people visualize those priorities and make the trade-offs that matter. Well, one of the biggest things there too is the freedom that comes with doing that. So I, I completely agree, dude. You know, the, the way, again, I'm trying to bring dads together. You know, I mm-hmm. want the, if, if dads are connected to other dads, then they'll improve and they'll, they'll wall exchange, whatever. With mm-hmm. you, if you're able to tap into all those dads and teach them, hey, here's how you properly run your finances. Here's a good planner system. And mm-hmm. they teach their kids. It's no different than nutrition, fitness, mm-hmm. you know, understanding the politics, understanding, you know, these are the things you're teaching them. Here's your financial strength. That's just another area we have to train. If we can do that in the home, well, then those kids don't. The public education system should be supplemental to the education mm-hmm. happening in the home. So if yep. it's happening there, I completely agree. That is how we turn it. It's just frustrating at times to see just the mass number of people who are preventably struggling. And then that bleeds into something that personally bothers me, which is the, the servitude. You're, you're, you're a servant to your debt masters. You're a servant Mm -hmm. to that boss. You're a servant to all these people because you can't leave. You you cannot move. And I recently put a tweet out there basically addressing exactly that. You know, I'd rather somebody who, what, you know, the joke was uh, I'm rather, I'd rather somebody who is an idiot. That's free than somebody who is brilliant. That's a slave. There are so many brilliant people out there who have no idea how their finances work. Yeah. And it, it 
drives me insane because they are stuck in life. And like you were saying, you know, money's a tool. We got to teach people how to use it. Yeah. I think uh, one of the things that I, in my hypothesis about why we are the way we are financially that I've been thinking a lot about and and in general, not just financially, but uh, you know, one of the things I love to say is I love to live in the nuance. So if you listen to like, if you look at the way I engage on Twitter, um, I, I, and, and I may grow slower because of this, but I don't like to be polarizing per se. I don't like to lift up one section of the world, you know, at the sake of putting down another one. Um, I like to really understand where people are coming from and why they are wired the way they're wired. And so much of it comes from our parents and it comes from, you know, earlier generations and what they instill in us, which is why we're trying to attack fathers. And so, um, what I've noticed about finances that's super interesting is if you think about, if I think about my parents alone, you know, my dad was a firefighter. So what was he relying on for retirement? A pension. Most of our parents were living in this world of pensions. And so um, when I, I asked my mom, you know, did you ever think about retirement and finances? And she would say, no, because we knew we had your father's pension. And so to a certain extent, we, there's all these little nuances about how our parents were raised, whether it was a world where mortgage rates were 10% and market returns were 2% or, um, you know, it's a world where your employer was going to effectively fund your retirement. Um, there are a lot of things that were just put on autopilot. And when you combine that with the taboo nature of finances and everything, I mean, how much was taboo when my parents were growing up? Finances and sex and, you know, discipline and all of these other things. Um, you know, I think it, it's going to take some time for us to generationally unpack that. But, you know, I want to build something with with you and dad Twitter and financially that that, you know, empowers people to actually take control and be transparent about all of those things instead of adopting the values and principles of their parents. You know, we talk a lot about not putting too much pressure on ourselves as dads, you know, and I think that money is one of those areas that it's, it's like a hidden stress. You don't realize the weight of it, but when you're thinking about, oh, I, I hate having to go to this job or I hate the fact that we can't do this or you're running from the bill collectors. You know, you got these people who are banging on the door and you're like, oh, we're fine. We got to celebrate Christmas. We got to make sure that we get these presents. And it's like, man, you're buying your kid a gift. And in that little moment, you're happy. And when they open it, you're happy, but you're also robbing yourself some of that happiness because when they open that gift, you're like, oh no, I know we couldn't afford that, but I had to get it. And it's like, if you had just planned properly, if you had just focused on the money, really addressed it and had it working for you, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't be stressed out. And if you weren't stressed out about money, you would be a better father. You would be a better husband. Your health would be better. Cortisol will jack your system up. You know, if you're always stressed out, you're going to suffer a lot of preventable uh, health complications. And so it's, if you want to be your best dad, you have to be financially literate. And that's again, back to what you're building, the system you're going with the head finance, that's that's a step in that direction. So mm-hmm. you're not going for my angle. One of the ways I would spin it when I talk to people is like, yeah, you you can go to, to get healthier, wealthier, all these things, you know, but you're not going to go to a head finance just to get rich. You're going to go there to become a better father, man, husband, by being individual in control of your finances. Yep. I think that small shift in perspective will really, or maybe it'll win a little more from the crowd when they realize, oh, it's not about models and bottles and Lambos and all that. It's about mm-hmm. literally just being a better family man because you have the funds and finances and and education to properly lead your family in a healthy way to where you can pay your bills or buy a present without the stress behind your head of, Oh man, can we afford this? Yeah. I think, um, you know, one of the things that I, why I think there's a lot of power in, in having a financial plan is I think we as humans, you know, both as individuals and within a family, we function and we operate better when when we have a purpose and we have a goal, when we have something we're working towards, when we have a vision of what the future looks like. Um, And I think that without that vision, we end up getting, we get trapped in this, as I said earlier, hamster wheel where we're making these very short-term decisions. We're making decisions based on, you know, what presents are gonna make my kids happier today. Um, And we have this very short-term mindset in the way we approach our finances, which is incredibly damaging. And so, one of the things that I want to do for both fathers, but also husbands in marriage is create that canvas to kind of outline what you want your life to look like. And so that way, when you're going out and you're buying your kids Christmas presents, it's not like, are they going to be happy for the next week or not? It's, uh, 
am I going to retire at 65 or 55? Like, are we, are we as a family building the right habits that the next 30 years of my life are going to be what I want them to look like with my whole family versus the next 30 days? Um, and I think, and I, and I said husband too, because I genuinely think that's one of the biggest stressors financial. I mean, I know finances are one of the biggest stressors in marriages, um, but in general, I think it's the, I, I use the word expectations. Like it, it, what it is, is both spouse, each spouse has a different set of expectations about what finances are supposed to achieve. Um, but they don't have that way to come together and actually agree on their vision for what life should look like. And so without that communication and without that canvas to kind of create what your financial life looks like together, one spouse goes off and does something that meet their expectations, but it turns out it's completely different than the other spouse. And then they just, they fight about it. And that's, and so um, I want to create that common ground for spouses to plan together on what life should look like, where they can sort of prioritize their values together. You know, that's an interesting imagery you painted there. I say painted intentionally. Yeah. You know, when you have that blank canvas, if, if you're, and maybe this goes down to vetting to make sure you have the right woman, you know, maybe now it's course correction. If you, if you never mm-hmm. spoke about finance and all of a sudden you're trying to fix it, but if you're working together, you know, when you say painting on that canvas, each stroke is a decision to buy this or not buy this, to invest in that each find anywhere. Every penny goes is a brushstroke. And if you yep. both have the same picture, then those two independent hands can make something beautiful and, and really paint a masterpiece. And yep. then you get to live that out. You painted your future, like you live it. But yeah. if you have two people with two different images in their head painting together, it's going to be chaos, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. so I really like how you, you put that because you really do have to work together. You can't yeah. have a husband focused on, on saving and building it and trying to improve. And then a, a wife who's living how they used to live or vice versa. Mm-hmm. She's trying to like, Hey, we need to think about the future. And he's like, no, uh, Bitcoin's going to go to the moon. Let's put everything in a Bitcoin. And then it fucking plummets or something. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot that, that can be said about spending habits in relationships. Yep. And I think you're correct. I'm pretty sure on like every list of marriage stress, money is top three. Yeah. Um, and I would, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say two things. Number one, when I, when I visualize this platform that we want to build, I like to position it as not a financial platform or a model that you get to go build. I like to position it as we want to give you the space to tell me to decide what you want your life to look like. And then it just happens to have a financial engine underneath it that tells you how much it costs. Um, like I want to engage with people where they are and, and let them build their life, not feel like they're sitting in a financial model where they have to learn and experience numbers. Cause I do think, um, I generally, I think living life is what's more important. And then we just need to understand the financial consequences of those life decisions. Um, you know, the second thing I'll say to kind of piggyback on what you said that, that I think is important for people to understand is it's not about finding somebody that like has the same financial personality as you. It's about having that common ground where you can work together on that vision. And why I say that is my wife and I financially are actually complete opposites. My wife is like, she grew up super risk averse, uh, grew up saving all of her money and she's amazing at it. Like she's super effective. I grew up spending money, being more risk on, maybe investing a little bit more here and there. And so what we've done though, is we've, un- we've outlined our priorities for our family and what our values are and we've come together. So we have moments where my wife will say like, stop spending, you shouldn't do that or that's not worth it. And I will say, okay, you're right. Like I should, I should watch what I spend. And then we have moments where I'll say, we need to be risk on here. We need to go make an investment. We need to, um, you know, we need to be more generous. We need to donate more. We need to give away our money a little bit more. And she'll say, okay, I hear you. Like, I agree that, that that's not my reaction. And so it's not about finding the person that has those same values, but it's about creating that space for you both to be constructive about your finances together. Oh, that's very well said. And I think that's an important point on, on both of those ends. You know, the, the latter being, yeah, you don't have to have somebody who's exactly the same as you. Teamwork, you know, we, we talk about diversity being strength. That has been beaten to being a politically correct mantra. But in, in all reality, having a wife who can fill in the gaps where you're, you're weak and then vice versa, that actually makes a much stronger couple. So that's a mm-hmm. good thing. It's the yin yang. It's black and white. They're, they're very complementary. Yep. And to the, to the former, 
you know, when you talked about individuals not feeling like they're sitting in a model, I think that's a great way to put it because oftentimes you see a loss of motivation or, or people kind of shut down a little when they think they have to do so much to change their life. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's not always the case. Oftentimes you need to be doing less, <laughs> like stop, yeah. stop trying to invest and do this and this, like come over here. Let's focus on this one thing, patch that hole, yeah. stop doing more. Let's focus. Like let's actually stop the leaks and then maybe broaden and add more skill sets or, or whatever to the table. But yeah. it, it's not like they have to go out and get three more jobs to fix this. And then they can get the life they want. It's like, you're, you're probably living there. You just have a lot of excess. You don't realize it's there. Yeah. And you know, that's not always the case, but I do think my individual is not feeling like they're sitting in, well, I, I'm just here. I'm just a, a, a number to plug into the system and I've got to do more and grow and get certificates and advancing my, my job pipeline. They've got to do all these things and then I'll make it. It's like, no, stay where you are. Be happy where you are. Let's fix where you are. And that will get you where you want to go. Yeah, I think, I think that um, reframe. Yeah, I think that um, I, I think that finances have this. Uh, there's sort of this overly complex technical expectation for people to be good at it, and so uh, when I look at when I've looked at a lot of the tools that exist out there for people in finances, they're all rooted, like rightfully so, but they're all rooted in numbers and. You know, one of the things I've learned in my career when I work with business partners and executives at companies is, yeah, they, they can understand numbers and they're good with numbers and they're not going to just reject numbers, but expecting them to be an expert in how those numbers work and how to manipulate those numbers and what to do with them, I think is a waste of their time. If we hire a guy because he's a world-class salesperson, I don't want him spending 20% of his time trying to analyze his numbers and figure out how it works. I want him spending 99% of his time selling because that's where the value is. And so um, part of what I want to build for this is something where, you know, I want to take some of that financial technical requirement and the way people manage their finances off of people's shoulders so that they can spend more time bringing their value to the world. And so um, I like to, I, I sometimes call it sort of no code for finance. And so that might be a Bay Area technical term, but if you think about, let's say, let's take Squarespace, you know, 20 years ago, if I wanted a website, I had to go learn how to code and I had to be an engineer to set up a website. But now all of a sudden, Squarespace has what people call no code for websites, which is I don't need to know a lick of code. I just have to like create an account and then I can do a bunch of drag and drop stuff. And so I kind of want to do the same thing for people's finances where the technical hurdle to being good at finances just gets lowered because we can create this no code space for you to build your life and the finances will run in the background. You know, I hate to say it, but that's probably going to be a great angle for you to take because (laughs) I'm not going to say people are lazy, but they do tend to shut down. I mean, if it's a taboo thing like finances finds itself Mm -hmm. into that world and then you put any sort of complexity to it, they're Mm -hmm. like, no, I'm out. I'm out. But yeah. if you're like, hey, this is simple and it is money, but don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're going to make this really drag and drop for your money. Like, We're going to figure this out. We'll get you where you want to go. Yeah. I think that is going to be a great angle. And a lot of people will, will hop onto that for that reason. You know, it's, yeah. it removes the scariness and complexity from the fixing their lives pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I, I once, like I said, I've spent a career servicing executives financial, you know, with finances and helping them make decisions about how the business should run. I want to do the same thing for people. I don't want people to feel, um, I don't want them to feel like they have to become financial experts, which takes away from some of the other things they enjoy in life and that they're good at, they're good at, but at the same time, you know, we're just doing damage to ourselves, our families and all of society by pretending that finances will just take care of themselves. Yeah. It's interesting. And actually one of the things I love to do in this podcast is just go like literal and practical. Mm -hmm. So I'll use myself as an example. You know, we're going to say, I I don't know if it's even the average. I don't know what the average is. You probably have a better idea than I, but entering this year, I had about $35,000 in credit card, just like consumer debt. And then like a loan Mm -hmm. that we had taken out. And Mm -hmm. right now I have zero Mm -hmm. because I was like, you know what? I had normalized debt. I was like, everybody has debt. Everybody has bills. And I was speaking to Anthony Miglarino. So he's uh, peacefulfathers.com, fellow dad Twitter guy. And we run Oak and Rock together. So solid dude. But I was sitting with him and a friend of ours named Ken. And I was just like, hey, guys, like this is bothering me. 
mm-hmm. feel like this isn't like something doesn't feel right about carrying this debt all the time. Mm-hmm. And through that discussion and putting on the table and like saying like, Hey, here's how much I'm paying, you know, each month on just debt. And then here's mm-hmm. the interest. And then here's all this. They kind of had me see the light that it's not normal to live like that. And mm-hmm. I was like, all right. So I, I, I really focused. I aggressively attacked. It was like three months ago. It, we paid off the last bit and that was cool. You know, and now we, we had a whole Christmas, you know, the kids, they didn't want for anything, but we have no debt. None of that went yeah. on a credit card. It was cash. Easy day. Yeah. How does the average man who's maybe in that position I was at the beginning of the year, they have some credit card debt, maybe a loan, whatever, and they're just kind of paying off the minimum or maybe just a little bit more. How do they get started on the path to dialing in their finances? For you, do you think it's attacking debt first or is it building up savings? I'm trying to give like the literal, the dude's been listening this whole time. He digs what you're saying. He's like, all right, I'm ready to start. Where do I start? Yeah. Um, if If you're in a position where you're holding debt and you're just paying the minimum, you know, the place that I always start is build a budget. I mean, you like literally just sit down, download a month, three months worth of your expenses and just go categorize them and then put your take-home pay up at the top. And then, um, you know, what it is, is, um, you know, look at, really look hard at those expenses and decide, um, you know, what is, what is truly necessary necessary versus what is nice to have and then set your budget accordingly Um, because in the short term when we're talking six months 12 months 18 months and it's getting yourself out of consumer debt per se and the reason I say consumer debt is obviously there's there's no there's very little tangible value behind what you've purchased with consumer debt and it comes with a really high interest rate like much higher than you will ever experience in the stock market so um, you are paying more on that on that debt, which is a little bit different than say student loan debt or a mortgage or something like that. But um, set a budget and, and go to the bone. I mean, go go as low as you can so that you're maximizing your savings. And then every dollar that you're able to save between what you have to spend and what you bring home every month is go straight to paying off your debt. Like don't even look at what the minimum is focus on the maximum that you can put towards that debt every single month to get out of it. Um, because I think there's a, you know, spreadsheets will say a lot of things. And so there's definitely a financial benefit to getting out of debt. There's such an emotional debt too, or a, an emotional sort of lifting of, by getting out of debt. I mean, I've, I've had, you know how good that felt <laughs> like when yeah. I paid that last one, I was like, Oh my yep. God. And then yeah. my wife, so she does the bills and I'm, she had like nothing. She had her mortgage and our cars and like utilities. And she's like, yep. that's it. I was like, what a, that's like a gift for her too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, that's the thing is, and that's one of the things, you know, just to kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier about this social layer on what I want to build, which what, one of the things I liked about Reddit was people don't just come in and ask for advice. They also celebrate, you know, they come in and say, man, I just paid my last check on a hundred thousand dollars of student debt. And then you get 75 people that jump in and say like, that's awesome. Yeah. Keep going. Congratulations. And so um, you know, we need to, we need to celebrate those things for ourselves more often when they happen, but also seeing other people achieve those things sort of keeps you motivated and knowing that you can keep doing it yourself. Um, so I like to say the first thing you do is set a budget, cut it to the bone, pay off as much as you can. Step two to me is come up with a plan to maximize your income. So this is more of, I'll say like 12 to 24 or 36 months. And that's where um, you know, there's only so much you can cut from expenses in life. If you focus on expenses your whole time, you're never going to get anywhere. And so step two to me is how do you maximize your income? Is it working really hard at your job and doing really well to get a promotion? Is it finding a course for on nights and weekends to acquire a new skill or a new certification that will allow you to sort of enter a, a new career that will make more money, uh, I don't know if you don't have skills, is it honestly, I don't know, taking Uber once in a while or something, but once your, once your expenses are down, all you can do now is maximize your income. And then as you maximize your income, you'll start investing that extra income, which will, you'll start getting compound returns on. And that that's when the flywheel starts going where like things will just, you'll start to have more freedom, both emotionally, but also financially to like make decisions that optimize your family. Now, when you look at this and you're looking at 
optimizing the family. Mm-hmm. For many, that's just, and this is why I'm, I'm big on debt, not just my personal win, but that is, that has now enabled me to do more. Now that that money's not being siphoned off somewhere else, I can invest mm-hmm. it if I want to. I can pay off or, or pay off the house faster, pay off the car faster. You know what? There's a lot of other opportunities that present mm-hmm. themselves with the debt. Mm-hmm. So with the budget, with the debt, and then looking at adding to the income, you know, you're, you're right. You can only strip it down so much. It's not about being so, people say minimalist. But you're living, I don't even know how to put it, like you're a, a peasant. Yeah. You're like, I never go out to eat. I don't watch any shows. I don't buy any new clothes. I'm like, man, you can buy a new shirt. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's not going to break the bank account. So let's make sure we, we understand what we're doing here. Yeah. So for you, when it, and I'm going to bring it back to debt. When it comes to debt, are you one of the guys who you look at hit the lowest one first? I think that's a snowball effect. Or are mm-hmm. you the high interest hit that first? And then work your way to the next interest. Oh man. I mean, I I know it's case by case. You know, I'm I'm yeah. pretty much presenting what's a broad yep. brushstroke for a very specific person. But yep. many just ask that question, like, well, I would have to know how much is on that high interest and how much is on that that low amount. <laughs> yeah. Um, it really it, it depends on the spread, you know, the difference in your interest rates. Personally speaking, I'd probably be a high interest one first, just because I'm a finance person. And so I'd rather knock out something that has 25% of annual interest on like a credit card than take something that's got maybe eight or 10% like a car loan, even if it's lower. Um, So I personally am high interest, but uh, you know, I also am a big advocate if you're somebody that, um, you know, is hard, if if you lack the ability to be self-motivating and to be consistent and to be, and have discipline in what you're doing, I would definitely do the snowball effect because for somebody that lacks discipline, that is, we talked about that emotional freedom of making that last, that, that last payment um, will compound itself. So you'll get that last payment faster on the snowball effect, which will then motivate you to go get that next last payment. And then that next last payment. So um, I think it takes a, um, some sort of self-reflection on what your personality is and what you're capable of to make that decision. But I'm personally, I would pay off high interest first. And I guess that leads to this, you know, when you see people who start attacking this or you start working with them, do you recommend they make it a public thing? They're like, Hey, like they, they, they start getting more comfortable talking to their spouse, talking to their kids, mm-hmm. maybe closer friends. Do you advocate for that, for them to share those wins with, like you were saying on Reddit? Yeah, I would. I, I absolutely would share the wins. Um, I think everything in life, finances or not, quite honestly, is better in community. Um, I I think there's, uh, you know, we talk about a lot of people talk about the general, you know, the feeling of generosity. You get a good feeling. The person receiving gets a good feeling. And so, um, I've found being sort of transparency first opens up the world in a way that's non-financial. I mean, I think it, it will help you feel good like sharing with people, but you know, you'd be surprised um, how many people out there that aren't sharing will also benefit from you sharing. Um, and you'll never know uh, unless you actually do it. And so um, there's a lot of people that can be motivated from you sharing. They can be, um, they can, they can, uh, celebrate with you. They can find healing in what you're doing, um, or they could just start. Maybe they're not even starting because they feel like they're alone and seeing somebody else's story. And so, um, you know, I will say for for people, for individuals, it comes down to what you're comfortable with. And so, uh, I think if you're if you want to be a private person, then it, it probably you know do something like Reddit where you can be anonymous, but you can still share and participate in community and. But if you're if you're okay being more transparent, then do it on Twitter or do it at your church or do it, you know, with your family or whatever it is. Um, but it, whatever it is, I'm a big advocate of just sharing and connecting with other people. I like that a lot. I'm actually going to use that. Things are much better with community. You know, like I said, my my main squad, the guys in my inner circle, they I was telling them like, hey guys, I killed this card. I got like three left. Hey guys, I killed a loan. Like I was super pumped as I was going through and I, I kind of did a hybrid. So I would be aggressive on the lower one to get it done early, but I would attack with the most aggression, <laughs> the one that had the highest interest. So I kind of like worked my way to the middle, but yeah. it was really cool to tell the guys. And 
I, I think it also allowed other ones who kind of saw my journey to open up and be like, oh yeah, like I'm working on this too. Cause mm-hmm. they see it. They're like, oh, you know, you, you make money online. You must be right. I, I was just a normal dude carrying debt too. Like, yeah. like there's nothing that separates any of us. We're all doing this thing called life. You know, and I had fallen into that trap, but because I had fallen into it doesn't mean it's okay to stay there. And, yeah. and like my sobriety, like several other, you know, fitness, things like that. I tried to be public with it because I wanted other people to see it's okay to talk about where you're struggling because that's how you get stronger at it. And again, removing the taboo around it. I love the fact that you're talking about with Reddit because that I hadn't thought of that. I'm so big on like, ah, use your name, put it out there. Like Reddit's perfect. Make a username and just talk about your things both, both to get, you know, people can see your situation and help and give some advice, Mm -hmm. but also so you can celebrate. Hey guys, I just paid off, you know, $30,000 that I spent on a stupid, you know, item that I don't even like anymore. It's yeah. gone now, though. That, that shame is out of my life and the, the consequences are as well. So I think that's yeah. a great approach and community does make it better. And I think it's what what's super interesting. I love the there's sort of there's also a snowballing effect to community when I think about Reddit that I enjoyed. So like I loved my time on Reddit. I, I switched to Twitter just because I think building a, a me first brand is going to help get my message out there better. Reddit's very topical based and, and anonymous, as we talked about. But um I loved celebrating with people when they were achieving things. And what I realized as I was thinking about how it works is um, like you get, there's this beauty of you're going to work really hard and then you're going to achieve something and you're going to celebrate it with everybody. And then you're going to become the celebrator. Like you're going to turn around in that community and you're going to start cheering on the people behind you that are doing what you were doing a year ago. And then once those people get to where you are, they're going to join you in that celebratory crowd and they're going to cheer on the people behind them. And so um, there's almost this sort of give back, pay it forward mentality to community that I think it has a has sort of this compounding effect if we all agree to participate and sort of be authentic and transparent in what we do. Um, and I think we have to we have to fight back against this culture of social media where we you know, all we see is the tip of everybody's iceberg. And then we judge based on that. Like there are, there are things that I have and that I own that I know people see and they say, man, he must be like, his finances must be awesome. Like, I'm sure he got lucky. I'm sure he made a boatload of money. And I'm like, yeah, we we've done well, but like we made smart decisions and I made a bunch of trade-offs to get this thing. And uh, and oh, by the way, I'm giving all of my, all this money away to all these organizations. So the reality is you don't know me. Like, just because I have one thing that you think is expensive, all of a sudden you're thinking I'm rich and well off. And the answer is no. Like, I, I have nice things. I also have financial pressures, which is why I want to build something to help other people with financial pressures. Um, and so being authentic and transparent and just being open and public with other people, I think, starts to strip away that narrative that people are immediately digesting from social media and judging books by covers that like everybody's doing well and they're the only ones that are struggling i uh, <laughs> i have to laugh man i love when guys come in they start creating and they start getting that kind of feedback like oh you must be this this isn't this i had someone tell me i was putting something out like parenting my kids or something and they're like oh your your childhood must have been so easy you know not all of us had a, a silver spoon in their mouth and I was like, have you fucking read any of my story? <laughs> like, I'm coming out of like this fire war zone as a kid. And you're saying that to me because you see me now. And you've decided yeah. with one, one, one tweet, you've decided that my entire life and, and where I came from and what I stand for. And while I understand it's projection, while I understand there's some insecurity or just outright just trolling, you know, just somebody yeah. just messing with people. There is an element of people thinking it's easier for others who've done the hard work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with finances, it literally is a numbers game. Yeah. They made money just like you made money. They have the hours that you have the hours. They, But instead of putting it towards, I don't even know, like, like three vacations that year, they went local once and they took the money for the other two they would have taken and they put that onto whatever they had to pay off. Yeah. They didn't do the things you did so they could have the things you can't. Yeah. Yeah. They. I mean, and you, you want to wrap that into parenting. I'll give you another example. We, when we chose to have a stay-at-home parent, I mean, you know, we had family members and friends that were like, oh my gosh, how can you give up your career? Why, how can you afford that? Or you're, you know, you're, that's way too risky. Why would you do that? And then two or three years later, they're sitting here saying, you know, we'll go out with them and they've got children close to my daughter's age. And they're saying, wow, you're, 
your daughter's so well behaved. She's so confident. Like uh, she's speaking so well. She's so articulate for a two and a half year old. That's so amazing. Like you guys got really lucky. And we're like, no, that, that, that decision that you were, you were crapping on us for two years ago, like that risk was us investing in our daughter so that she can become what you see today. Um, you know, okay, so your, your child is fussy and they don't want to go down for naps and they're really shy and they're really scared and risk averse. Well, guess what? You didn't, you didn't want to stay home with your child. Like you, you thought it was too risky. So we, we, we made the trade off to stay at home with our daughter and have a stay at home parent. And it wasn't luck. You are seeing the product of that. And so, uh, it like, I hate that word, man. I hate luck. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It drives me crazy when like the same people are just, you know, crapping on both ends of the spectrum and then calling it luck in the middle. And the reality is we were very thoughtful about the decisions we were making about how we wanted the parent. You know, we were talking earlier before we hit record. Uh, I'm always asking, like, what can I help you do? Like, where, where can I point people when they have questions? And, you know, your main thing right now is just connecting and, and answering questions and engaging and, you know, uh, really pushing on the Twitter front. And so I'll have that link below for those who are hearing this, and they're looking to work with you or they want to reach out, maybe ask a question or I, I don't know where you're at in the, the implementation of going public with the system, but I know people are going to hear this. And they're going to start wondering, well, well, how do I see what it is you're doing? Cause I like your message. Yeah. Where can they at least get in line or, or start connecting with you? So when you do start rolling out and say, Hey guys, I'm going to start taking people on, they can be first in line or they can be there to kind of see it kick off. Yeah, I mean, just ahead.finance. You know, if you type that www.ahead.finance into your browser. I love um, the simplicity. (laughs) I love it. Um, We, yeah, we have a waiting list. And so we're gathering interest. And I think that's that's kind of, we're in this stage of, um, you know, I think I have people that are are helping me and ready to sort of really build out this whole platform. We've got the vision. I've even, I've probably got people ready to sort of fund it. I think we're in this stage of, you know, are we solving a real problem? I know we are. I have to prove to all of our stakeholders that people see what we're building and they're like, yes, I need that. And so, you know, just going and dropping your email, you know, creating that interest list for us is of huge value because it it's proof to all the other people that want to participate with us that this is something that people are going to find value in. And so ahead.finance is there, but Personally speaking, my, my DMs are always open too. If you, if there's ever questions or you want to just like riff on personal finance or your personal life or whatever it is, I always love just talking to people about where they are or sharing my story. I mean, I, I, I love sharing my story because I know it helps other people create and grow and build and, and heal. Well, the relationship aspect of that too, you know, that's been one of the big, biggest experiences for me is they, they form a relationship with you and you're thousands of miles apart. All you know is that they're the, the cat profile photo and their name's Mike, but they've been with you for years. I've got dudes like that for years. I don't even know what they look like, but you get a relationship by just sharing your story. And that's something that you're doing. And so for anybody that's listening, you want to check it out. The link is below hop on and become a part of that story, especially if you're looking to calibrate yourself financially. Adam is the man to help you do it. You know, some of the great discussions we've had on fatherhood. I don't want that to come as a distraction. We're going to have him on Oak and Rock because there's a lot more to this man than just money. So we're going to be talking to him there. Anthony and I will get him on and we'll, we'll chop it up about fatherhood. But for finances, I really want you to listen to what happened here, the discussion that was had, the information shared, and then go and apply it. And that doesn't mean put your name on the waiting list, hit the DMs. And if you just want to start rolling and start you know, testing things on your own, go to Reddit. Go to these platforms, share your, your success, share your struggles, just start the process. And if, look, it's, we're recording this at the end of December, we're about to kick off 2022. For many, their resolution is likely having to do with their finances. A lot of people have certain goals they want to hit, debt, elimination, uh, growth of income, whatever it is. This is a great time for you to print out 12 months of statements. Go through and do everything Adam just said. What categories are these? And look, that's a year's worth. Keep it on your whiteboard. Keep it wherever, come back on this time next year and put those numbers side by side. See how you did. This is the best time to do that because you have a full year's worth to look at. And then now you can do it next year, but more intentional following Adam's system or connecting. I don't see how you can't win as long as you're intentional about it. And like I said, having it on the whiteboard, you know, or having it somewhere where you see it, that's your daily reminder. It's like taking your vitamins. So Adam, before we go, any closing words? No, I, I think that, um, 
you know, finances aren't about finding the next Dogecoin or Ethereum and making 4,000%. It's about, it's about doing the little things and doing them consistent, consistently. Uh, and I can promise that if you just get your basic finances, you know, in good shape, in autopilot, where you're just, you have the right muscle memory and the right habit, you know, you're, you will benefit, your family will benefit, your community will benefit. Um, and it's, you, you can't, a spreadsheet will never quantify that for you. You can see the benefits in a spreadsheet, but I can promise you there are infinite returns outside of the spreadsheet that, that you, you're going to want to experience. That's awesome. Thank you for your time, Adam. I appreciate having you on. You know, normally we're talking dad life. So it was cool to get to talk about the other passion of yours, which is the financial side of the house. I look forward to seeing this grow. As soon as we're done with this, my email's going on there. I look forward to seeing the system drop. So absolutely, man, I look forward to seeing that thing go live. But for those who have listened, check the links below. Adam, thank you for your time. This has been another episode on the Family Alpha Podcast. You guys stay well. You've just finished another episode of the Family Alpha Podcast. Now go out and apply what you've learned. And be sure to follow Zach on Twitter and Instagram at ZachSmall underscore. Also, be sure to check out Zach's work at thefamilyalpha.com and his private men's community, thefraternityofexcellence.com.